You're listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, episode 50. All right, folks. So uh, thank you for joining us. This is the uh, big five zero episode. This has now been 50 episodes that we've done of the Touch of Flavor podcast, which is an amazing milestone. And thank you guys for listening and for all the great feedback that you give us. And we're looking forward to the next 50 and hitting the triple digits. So we will get there. Slowly trucking. (laughs) One a week. Slow but steady wins the race. So we thought we'd do something uh, special and a little different for this episode. And we had had a listener write in and ask us to do a episode not for poly folks, but for the loved ones, the family, the friends of people who identify as poly and to do an episode for them, something that can be shared with them and give them some insight and answer some questions about the loved ones that they have who are poly. So that's what we're doing in this episode, which means the purpose of this episode is to share it, right? This is something that you can take and you know, forward this to a friend or a family member or somebody who you love, who you want to understand you better. Yeah, so because we had someone ask this, and we also have had lots of people who have said before, like, we just don't really know how to approach these things. And we'd rather have someone who could, you know, give some some feedback and knowledge to our family. We decided to go ahead and do that. And it can be difficult when you're talking to your family, when you're polyamorous and you are trying to explain things because there is so much false understanding of what poly is, right? Like you get those ideas from different places, things like that. And it can give you this idea that, well, it's this horrible thing. So I want to say thank you to those who might be listening now, who are the family, who are taking the time to take a few minutes and, and try to see what maybe this is and try to get some understanding. And understand a little bit about who their loved ones are and you know, uh, and about their lives. And, and, you know, this took a lot of trust for them to share with you, Um, particularly if you guys haven't really talked about this much before. You're somebody that they love and they want to understand them. And we thank you for taking the time to, to listen and to listen and try and understand something that's a little different from, from maybe what you're used to. So I think one of the things is that there's a lot of poor depictions, right? Like when you watch TV and you see non-monogamy, you see like the cheating spouse and uh, some of the HBO shows that are uh, a little bit more about, you know, just the sex end of things. And there's a lot of wrong notions as to what poly is. So I think, you know, do yourself a favor as you're listening through this and, and discredit some of the things that you've seen on TV. And, and let that go. Another thing is, is that where a lot of the issues come in is fear. And it's because, it's because you care about your family member, right? You, you care about them. You want what's best for them. And you're coming from a place of, you know, maybe this is your child. Maybe this is your sister or your brother or someone else in your family who you love a lot. And you're scared that somehow this relationship dynamic is going to harm them, is going to cause your loved one to end up in a bad place. So 
what I want to say is, is that we hear you. We understand where you might have had some some negative uh, ideas come in and we get that this might be kind of a scary thing for you, fearing for your loved one. But the idea of this is to give you some more factual information and to give you a better understanding so that way maybe we can kind of move away from some of that fear. Let's, let's talk about why why you should listen to this, right? And, you know, when we were, one thing that was interesting for us when we were putting this episode together was, you know, we had a lot of stuff that we know and like we're familiar with the research and stuff on, but we, we've never really dug into the numbers on some of this stuff. You know, so one of the things that we wanted to answer when we were putting this episode together is, you know, how, how common is polyamory? Because, you know, there's this whole notion that, well, this is just this weird thing that, that my, my, my uh, loved one is doing. Um, and, and the answer actually was, was somewhat surprising, I think, even to us. And we'll, we'll go into terms and stuff in, in a minute for you. About 4 to 5% of folks identify as currently non-monogamous. Currently non-monogamous. So like right now, I'm in a non-monogamous relationship. 4 to 5% of people, and this is consistent across a couple of studies, and, uh, you know, one to five people report engaging in consensual non-monogamy at some point in their lifetimes. So, and, and we'll just, you know, distinguish consensual non-monogamy, right? Where everybody's on the same page and knows what's going on from cheating. So this, this isn't an uncommon thing. It isn't uncommon. And, you know, the issue is that there, there is a lot of, when, when you are polyamorous, right? Because it is, is a minority in a lot of ways, there's a lot of harm, right, that can be suffered from people not understanding. And, you know, we want to try and, and alleviate that in the place where you really always should be loved and be accepted for who you are, which is among your family, among your close friends, among the people that you care about. Part of the reason why we're doing this is because of that, is, is wanting you to be able to have that understanding and love and care for your family member. And we looked into some studies and things like that. And actually one of the ones that came up that really was a shocker for me was um, the study that Loving More and the National Coalition for Sexual Freedom had. And they did this internet-based survey of 4,000 people. So this is 4,000 non-monogamous identified people, self-identified polyamorous folks. And, you know, it's one of the largest surveys that's ever been done. And one-fourth of the people who took that survey said that they had felt discriminated against in their lifetime, that they were discriminated in different places. And the biggest place that they felt discrimination was by their loved ones, was by the people who are supposed to be the people who are caring and loving and accepting of their family. And, you know, speaking from personal experience and experience with our partners and, you know, the, the, the issue that comes up is most of the time, right, in the vast majority of cases, people do care about their loved ones, right? You know, you have somebody who comes out to you as polyamorous, which, by the way, is a, a, a huge, courageous step for a lot of people because a lot of people know they're going to get a bad reaction or at least fear it, you know, and, and your loved one comes out as polyamorous. And, you know, in most cases, you love this person, right? And you want them to be happy and you want them to be taken care of and you want them to be healthy. And the issue is that you don't understand, you know, you don't understand the situation. You don't understand the research behind things. You don't understand how this can wind up playing into people's lives. And so you wind up hurting people out of a desire, a desire to help, right? A desire to do good, a desire to help them out. 
the unfortunate thing is, is that it ends up damaging your relationship with this person simply because you don't understand, because you aren't giving that ability for them to be able to express who they are and who they love. And it severs the relationships that you have with them. So hopefully, you know, this this will inspire you to kind of go through the rest of this and, 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 and listen in a little bit more. Yeah. So just a bit about us, right? Because the people who are listening to this podcast normally are familiar with us, but you most likely aren't. I'll keep it to what's relevant to you, which is essentially that we spend the majority of our our lives dealing with people in alternative relationships. Um, educating, we do a lot of stuff like this uh, this podcast. And we also, um, Cassie's full-time career is she coaches people who are in non-monogamous relationships and helps them build better relationships. Essentially a, a relationship coach for non-monogamous folks. So this is the stuff that we deal with day in and day out. We have for years. We teach in at, at a variety of events and things like that in the polyamorous community. We work with polyamorous people and help them with their relationships on an everyday basis. So we, we have some background in, in what we're saying. So with all that said, hopefully you have a bit of understanding of why we put this together, hopefully why it's going to be helpful to you, and a little bit about our background. And with that, we are going to hop into the meat and potatoes of this episode, which is the six things that you should know if you love someone who is polyamorous. So let's start with the word polyamorous to begin with, right? Because if your loved one came to you and and they said, uh, you know, I'm I'm polyamorous, uh, chances are you're like, what 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 is that? Like, what is polyamorous? What does this mean? Um, that isn't a word that is in you know, it's getting a little bit more into mainstream usage. But it's not a common word, and even where it is a common word, a lot of times there are a lot of misconceptions around what it actually means, right? People use it in different ways. And, you know, this this gets conflated a lot of times with things like polyamory and swinging and cheating and and things like that. So first, if your loved one has come to you and, and told you that they're polyamorous, consensually non-monogamous, these kinds of things, I want to give you an idea of, of what that means. So... To start with, you know, consensual non-monogamy is pretty much anything that's is a phrase is used to describe pretty much anything that is uh, not monogamy, right? So not just uh, two people, you know, in a sexually exclusive and romantically exclusive relationship. But what differentiates that from cheating is that everybody actually knows. So that's consensual non-monogamy, right? And are okay with it. Everybody that's knows the, and has consented part. to it, right? But consensual monogamy can include a lot of things. Um, it can, and you know, you've probably heard of swinging, or you've heard of like polygamy, which is you know like some some certain religious sex and things like that. People tend to define things different ways, right? Like we all define ourselves under the umbrella of consensually non-monogamous, but polyamory has its own meaning, right? So polyamory is is two words. It's poly, meaning many, and amory, which means loves. And, you know, you get those together, you get many loves. And essentially what polyamory refers to specifically is having multiple simultaneous romantic relationships at the same time with the full knowledge and consent of everyone involved. So that's that's polyamory. So if your loved one has come to you and said that they're polyamorous, chances are that means that they are either interested in or currently have multiple simultaneous romantic relationships. And some of those relationships may be sexual, some of them may not, but it's that that aspect of romantic relationships that tends to distinguish polyamory from other kinds of consensual non-monogamy. 
to make things clear, polyamory is not necessarily polygamy, which is, you know, the religious aspect. It's it's not swinging, which is just about sex. And uh, it's not cheating because everyone's on board. And it doesn't always look the same way. In so fact, I will say it almost never looks, looks exactly. the same way. <laughs> yeah. So polyamory looks very different. It can be many people that are in relationships altogether. It can be people who have separate relationships. Um, it takes many forms, but it's good to note that it does not necessarily always look the same way. Yeah. And I mean, just, just to give a couple of examples, because I think this is where people who have, you know, especially watch shows on HBO, like Big Love and things get their mind blown, you know, as you get this, uh, this image of, you know, one guy and multiple wives all living in the same house and like this, this certain kind of relationship. And, and it doesn't usually look like that. So you may have multiple people, maybe three, maybe more, maybe it is one woman and I mean, you know, one man and multiple women, maybe it's a combination of different genders who all live together and raise kids together and almost have more of like a, a marriage type situation. You know, we'd call it a cohabiting type situation where everybody lives together and, and shares responsibilities, raises kids, that kind of thing. But it can also range to, you know, my partner and I may not date together at all. We may, you know, share a house and consider each other you know, this to be our, our main relationship, perhaps, but we each have uh, separate partners. There's really just an entire range of things. So if your loved one has come to you and, and told you that they're polyamorous, one of the first things that it can help you to do, besides realizing that this is about relationships and wanting to have romantic relationships with multiple people, is to realize that this probably isn't going to wind up looking how you think it's going to look. Yeah. And a lot of folks get this sort of misconception that polyamory is all about the men, right? Guys want lots of women and things like that. And I think some of that comes from seeing things like big love and seeing some of the things like that. But it's it's not actually. It's not something that is just for the guys to have multiple women. There's There's plenty of females that are non-monogamous and are doing this because they want to have, you know, relationships this way as well. There was a uh, study in... Uh, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce that either. I want to say it's plus one, but it's spelled P-L-O-S. Let's say plus one. Let's go with that. <laughs> okay. So um, it's a scientific journal, plus one, of 1,308 self-identified polyamorous individuals. And it was focused on those who had primary relationships and, and secondary relationships. And the interesting thing about this was that 58.6% of those surveyed self-identified as female. So this kind of goes against what a lot of people think, which is it's all about guys wanting to have lots of women or, or you know, want to having the, uh, the mistress on the side, that sort of thing. And that's a, a smaller sample size, but even another study, which was the NCSF Loving More study that we talked about earlier, of 4,000, 49.5% were women and only 354 were men. So well, identified as. There's a disparity in those numbers. So yes. somewhere in there, there has to be some people who are, aren't identifying their gender, I'm assuming. Well, they, they the plus one made you identify as male or female. The NCSF Loving More allowed people to not identify or to choose non-binary 
Um, ah, gotcha. So, so that's where the, but still the more females difference. than men. And I'll say, you know, just from a more of a personal experience, I find it to be, I find those to, to play out. I tend to see slightly more women around. I, I think that where, I think that where some of this probably comes in is like what people think of when they think of like the prevalent attitude towards like cheating and things like that in society as a whole, you know, tends to be kind of more male focused. But, you know, the fact of the matter is the, the polyamory world tends to be dominated by women because that's not the case, but certainly at least equal, if not better representation in terms of numbers. So that's, that's, that's the first thing that you should know when your loved one has, has told you that they're polyamorous, which is what is polyamory? Because it's, it's really hard to talk about it if you guys are talking about two different things. So the second part, and, and this is just <laughs> so prevalent, is that polyamory is, is mostly about having a lot of sex. And hopefully now that you have, we've talked a little bit about, you know, the definitions and what polyamory is, you'll understand that 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 is not the case. But let's dive into it a little more. Yeah. So here's the thing. I like to talk frankly, and I'm not going to say that, you know, having different sexual experiences isn't fun, right? There, there's, there's a fun element there. But polyamory isn't about that. It's about cultivating meaningful, ongoing relationships and having the potential to like fall in love with someone and to create a lasting relationship. Like the focus isn't necessarily around the, the sexual aspect as much as the ability to freely have relationships with who you want. Yeah, you know, I, I want to I kind of throw this out there. I mean, because at this point, you know, you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're, you're not familiar with us. So uh, we, we are not sex shaming type of people. And there's, there's nothing wrong with those other forms of non-monogamy. But I think it's important for you to understand the difference in, in where your loved one is at. So, you know, as Cass was saying, that, that, that opportunity to have that ability to find somebody else that you like and you have something in common with and you can have that experience of dating and building a relationship. And, and, and you know, the other portion of this, too, is... There's there's this this kind of quote that floats around the, the polyamory community that you get to be different parts of yourself with different people, right? You meet each person kind of where your lives intersect. And that means that you get to be parts of yourself and experience things with with certain partners that you may not experience with others. I feel like some examples here would be I can swell. give an example of, you know, me with you and with Amanda. Like I have two partners, Rigel being one who's on the podcast, and my other partner, Amanda. And Josh and I dig out to things like sci-fi, and we're both a bit more athletic, and we both have very type A personalities and like to get into like long conversations about debating over things. And that's really awesome and amazing that I get to express that with you. But on the flip side, Amanda doesn't like the conversations like that. And we get to have silly, goofy conversations. We like to cuddle a lot. And instead of sci-fi, we get to watch horror movies, which you really do not like. So I get to experience different things with both of you. And that goes down to even things like how we go about things like where we go, activities we do. 
Uh, Amanda has has been amazing at uh, embracing some of my desires and things like that as far as like doing stuff at the kids' school that Rigel would find very boring, such as uh, making baskets for bingo. So... In Aren't a, you glad I have Amanda? I, I am. I am. I had, I had a partner at one point who her and I would get up and go on like a couple mile long runs in the morning. And Cassie said, uh, no, I want to uh, sleep in. Yeah. Screw that noise. So, you know, so and there there's, you know, it's one of those things that I think is hard to appreciate when you're not built that way. You really get to express different parts of yourself with different people, and it's really an amazing experience. And, you know, this this kind of goes back to what I was saying before, and honestly, it probably fits a little better into here, which is that there's nothing wrong with, there's nothing wrong in, in our books with wanting to have sex with multiple partners. But, you know, if somebody's coming to you and telling you they're polyamorous, this, this isn't about the sex, because the fact of the matter is, it's way easier to just go have sex with multiple people, right? Sex is easy. Relationships are hard. And if your loved one is coming to you and telling you that they're polyamorous and they're interested in being in relationships with people and they're willing to put in that work and that time and that energy, there is a lot more that they are looking for than sex. If they're coming to you to talk to you about this relationship, mm. about this person, and they're putting that out and they're taking that risk, knowing that they may be judged by you, that they're going to have to go through all this stuff. Obviously, there's an emotional component. It's not just sex. They would not do this much work to talk to you about someone that they're sleeping with. So that's the second thing that you should know. Third thing that you should know that can be really helpful for you is why? Why do people do poly? And, you know, this is probably something that you've been asking yourself, right? Or at least asking yourself at this point. So we wanted to spend a few minutes and talk about why are people poly? And, you know, we, we talked, uh, we, we touched on this a little bit in the last thing about getting to be different parts of yourself with different people, but let's, let's dive in a bit deeper and explore this a bit more. So I think it's important to explain that this comes from an inner desire, that this is something that is about your loved one. This isn't about you. A lot of times when we hear things from loved ones who are concerned, things like that, they, they go into this space of like, where did we go wrong? Maybe if we did this one thing, our loved one wouldn't have been polyamorous. Maybe we shouldn't have taken them to the pool that summer and they wouldn't have been polyamorous, or maybe we should have fed them more vegetables. Like, what did we do wrong? And and I'm saying this, and, and you're probably sitting there thinking this is silly, but people think to themselves, well, what did I do, especially if I'm a parent, right, to make you this way? Like, how, how the hell did you turn out this way? And why it's important to, to, to grasp this is the reason why folks are polyamorous is because that is a part of who they are. It's, it's kind of a part of who they are as a person and how they love and care for others. Yeah, it's, there's, there's some interesting parallels here to be drawn with like the nature nurturer conversation with, <laughs> with the LGBTQ identified people, but we'll kind of skip lightly over that here, you know, but, but at the end of the day, it, it, it has to do with who they are. People who are polyamorous, most people who are polyamorous, they identify as polyamorous. Like this is who they are. You know, speaking for myself, I would be perfectly happy 
with just Cassie, right? But I can't imagine ever wanting to do that because I get so much out of my relationship with other people and I can't imagine wanting to shut myself off to that. And most people who who say that they're polyamorous, right? Um, and you know, who have been doing this a little while, that that's how they identify. That's that's a, what they consider part of their orientation, just like if they're gay or straight or bisexual. It's a part of who they are. They consider themselves polyamorous even when they have one partner or no partners, right? Because they're still open to that. So that's something to understand. And you know, this this isn't one thing that I find interesting in this whole discussion is this whole thing of like, um, well, it's a new concept or it's it's like a millennial thing. We heard that a couple of times. Yes. It's a millennial thing. And, and you know, it's interesting because it, it, this, is, this, is, this is not a new concept by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, you can see it in cultures going back. Thousands and thousands yeah, of years. thousands <laughs> of years. I'm like, if you're religious, you can see examples of this in a lot of holy books. I'm like, if you believe in evolution. Um, I mean, if you believe in evolution, it becomes pretty clear that from a purely biological standpoint, without getting into the sociological discussion about this whole thing and, and you know, uh, what worked historically from a, a sociological standpoint, but purely from a biological standpoint, if you uh, believe in evolution and natural selection, uh, it's pretty clear that biologically, we are not built to be non-monogamous. Um, so this this isn't a new concept. It isn't something that's and I think more than, than saying it's a new concept, really what we're trying to get across here is this isn't something that is unnatural or new, right? So you don't want to judge it off this like, oh, this is weird concept. What you want to try and judge this by, especially when you're talking about your loved one, is, is well, this is how we tell people to judge all their relationships, right? Is this something that makes them happy and healthy? Are they happy and healthy in this kind of relationship? Is this healthy for them? And that's how you should be evaluating and thinking about this going forward. So the next part of this is it's not because I feel like as a woman, you get this more. It's not because your partner isn't enough or there's something missing in your relationship. Yeah, there's there's this idea that I you must be polyamorous because your other partner isn't enough, right? And the reason why people are polyamorous is not because someone isn't enough. Like, it's not that my partner is somehow less than or not important. It is because I enjoy being able to experience things with someone else as well. And we don't get caught up on this when we say, well, we have lots of friends, right? If I, if I come to someone and I say, I have five friends, they wouldn't say, oh, well, you should only have one because your one friend should be enough. You wouldn't think less of that friend because you have other friends. And so it, it doesn't really have anything to do with not appreciating or thinking that your partner's enough as much as a desire to want to bond with people, sort of what Rigel was talking about earlier with being able to have those different experiences and expressing different parts of yourself. Yeah, one of one of the things that you you have to first come to grips with, right, when you realize that you're non-monogamous is is that nobody is everything to someone 
I mean, you know, you even if you're monogamous, your 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 spouse is not everything to you. You have other things that you get met either through hobbies or you get through friends or other relationships. Life is never just an island where it's you and your partner and your partner is providing absolutely everything that you need out of life. So it's not about people not being enough, as Cassie said. It's about enjoying experiencing more, enjoying that opportunity. We keep coming back to this theme of of being and experiencing different parts of yourself with different people. And you know, from the other end of that as well, in some ways, it's nice. Like, it's nice, you know, I'll just give an example. Like, I don't enjoy horror movies at all. It's nice for Cassie to be able to do that with Amanda or with some of the other people in our lives. It's nice that there are people who really want to take her clothes shopping because I am I am not one of them. I'm not either. Yeah. Well, yeah well. <laughs> I don't want to take myself clothes shopping, but yeah. it's nice to have someone who would like to go clothes shopping and help me with that. Right. So, you know, it's it's things to think about, right? Is it have is is it making somebody happy? Is it making somebody healthy? I feel like this next one's really more of a, a thing that women get in some ways too, if you want to hop on that one. So a lot of times folks who are unfamiliar with polyamory go into this mindset of, well, either A, you're a manipulator. And that's not necessarily more women. That's that's actually more men. Like you must yeah, be manipulating yeah. your wife for her to fall for this. You know, she's got to be a sucker. But, you know, you 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 somehow are manipulating someone into doing this. And on the flip side, it is, oh, geez. And and maybe maybe even you thought about this as far as your loved one. Like, are they being taken advantage of? Are they getting manipulated or drawn into this? And there's this idea that in order to sign up for this, either you have to have bad intentions for someone or someone has bad intentions for you. And that's not the case. And as far as being in a manipulator, you know, people aren't trying to manipulate people into, into relationships. That's sort of the whole purpose of polyamory is being open and honest and having deep, long conversations about what your relationship looks like. And for those who might be getting taken advantage of that idea is you're really saying to your loved one, I don't trust you to know what is good for you. And that, that's, that might not sit well with you. That might be a little like, oh, but it's true. Like most of the time people who are getting into these kind of relationships have done the research, have done their homework, have taken the time to really look into what they're doing and are really being active in their relationships to make sure that no one's feeling pressured or that they're feeling pressured, that things have been, you know, negotiated and discussed and part of this is having that faith in your loved one that they're looking out for themselves. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like part of this is there. there's kind of this idea that like polyamorous and non-monogamous folks are like out here recruiting, <laughs> um, which which isn't the case. And, you know, the fact of the matter is a lot of most polyamorous people, myself included, most people who are non-monogamous don't think that like monogamy is a bad thing. And like, you know, the fact of the matter is there are people who are better suited for non-monogamy. There are people who are better suited for monogamy. The important thing, as far as I'm concerned, and I think as far as almost all polyamorous people are concerned, isn't whether you're polyamorous or you're monogamous. It's whether you are actually given the opportunity to make the choice, you know, as in with, with, with 
the all the information available with the knowledge that there actually is a choice instead of just being forced into a default that isn't good for you purely because of social pressure. I know a lot of folks who are better suited to monogamy than they are to polyamory. Um, we know people who are quite a few people who are in relationships where one partner is is monogamous and the other partner is polyamorous and that works fine for them. Um, so like I said, we're not out here recruiting. People aren't being like, we're not like dragging people, kicking and screaming into this against their will. Um, it really is, you know, either you're polyamorous, you're monogamous. And uh, yeah, we're not, not out there like kicking and dragging you. people into it. I mean, we don't have to. There's, there's, there's enough people out there who identify as non-monogamous once they realize that it yeah. is an option. The, the big push really from, from polyamorous folks is that we don't care what you do. We just want you not to care about what we do. We want you to accept what we do. Like we want that even exchange of you being accepting of our relationships, just like you want us to be respectful of yours. Sort of one of the other things I want to touch on is, is this idea that, that this is all going to go away. So uh, we kind of talked about this isn't a new concept. It's not a trend. And with that, it's also probably not a phase. Like if your loved one has come to you and, as we said, did that hard work of letting you know this, um, this is probably something that they identify as. And it's not something that they're just going to one day not happen. So being considerate of the idea that this is a part of who they are and it's not that they haven't found the right man or haven't found the right woman to settle down with or that they haven't done this or that. Um, and that's why they're doing that. This is somehow just going to disappear. It's important to note that this is probably something that isn't going to go away for you just by you hoping that it is. Like this is probably who they are and that's why they're coming to you. And as I said, most people who identify as polyamorous, identify as polyamorous, right? They consider that a part of who they are. And, you know, people change. People who are monogamous become polyamorous. People who are polyamorous become monogamous. But chances are, if they're taking the effort to come to you, this isn't something that's going to go away just because you ignore it. And people aren't polyamorous because they're scared to commit. This is This is really... This is something that honestly, I've never really understood this thought of you're scared to commit. So you put in the work to build relationships with more people, with more people. I've never really understood that, that train of thinking, to be honest. And, you know, I'll play devil's advocate for a second and say that I think where this comes from is this idea that, well, if you have multiple partners, it's never actually going to be like a real relationship. And I'm doing some air quotes right now, but the real relationship of, you know, building, building a family or buying a house or, or sharing finances or, or building a life. And there's this idea that, you know, you're just going to kind of hop from one new person to the next. And that's not really what polyamory looks like for a lot of us. Um, we have very long-term relationships that are a commitment. You know, this, is, this isn't a 
you know, an excuse not to have a long-term relationship or an excuse not to bond with somebody. Polyamorous relationships are just as committed as monogamous ones. Um, and what commitment is about is loyalty and support and being there when someone needs you. And that's what we do. Like it's, it's, it's this idea that somehow because of multiple partners, suddenly we don't do those things. So we have this, this idea in our romantic relationships that in order to be committed to this relationship, to be committed to this person, to be loyal, to love them really, that that requires sexual exclusivity, requires relationship exclusivity, requires we can only have this type of relationship with this one person. But that isn't something that we expect in any of our other relationships in our lives. We don't expect that, you know, we're not committed to our friends if we're not exclusive to them. I mean, it, it's so I, I just want you, you know, and we don't think about any of our other relationships in our lives. So I just I want you as we go through to kind of think and chat yourself and ask, OK, I know I think that, but, but why do I think that? And does that make sense? And do I apply the same standard here that I apply to other things? And like I said, I'm not asking you to change your mind. I'm just asking you to to give it some thought, right? Like this is this is kind of a big step with this with the with with your loved one coming to you. You there's going to be a lot of probably adjustments that need to be made in the relationship. There's going to be some stuff you have to work through. And if you want to get anywhere, if you want to have a good starting place, I think I think the place to start is to be open-minded to how you're thinking about certain things. The fourth thing that you should know when you're someone you love is polyamorous. Uh, you know, as I said before, really the way that anybody should be evaluating any relationship is whether or not they're happy and they're healthy in that relationship. So the fourth thing that we want you to know is that just because your loved one is polyamorous, they can still find happiness and love. It's not like because they're poly all of a sudden uh, that they can't. For a lot of you, you might be concerned about this idea of my loved one's going to miss out on that opportunity to have love, have a family, settle down. And the thing is, is that polyamory isn't about saying to heck with all of that. It's not about, oh, not finding love and not finding someone or someones to connect with. It's about having those relationships and having the ability for those relationships to grow. Um, and really in life, sort of one of the things that I'm going to ask you to challenge yourself on is that you have many loves. We all do, whether it's your children, your brother, your mother, and having many relationships doesn't take away from the relationships that you have. So if you had one child and you love that child and you had an amazing relationship with that child, having another child doesn't somehow damage that and taint that and make that any less than yeah, lots of polyamorous folks do find love, do find long-term relationships, do build families. They may not look exactly the way yours does, but it doesn't mean that they can't find that happiness and love in their life. Yeah. And, you know, the thing that, one of the things that as a polyamorous person I find difficult is people who aren't in my kind of relationship trying to tell me 
whether or not I'm happy in my kind of relationship. I can't tell you how many people, you know, come and tell me, well, yeah, you think that you're happy, but really eventually you're going to find out that you aren't. Look, I'm sorry. I've been polyamorous for 12 years, 12 years, essentially my whole adult life. We've been married for over 10 years. We have a child together. We've had live-in partners. I'm quite happy. Thank you very much. I have been quite happy and quite healthy as a polyamorous person. And I say that because the people who have done this and have done this over long terms, even over their lifetimes, they're the ones in the best position to tell you that, yes, you can be happy. You can be healthy. This is this is a, a, a way that people choose to live their relationships that works for them. So what I would ask of you is to really take a look at your loved one and ask yourself, are they happy? Do they look like they're happy? Do you see them connecting with people and spending time with them and growing who they are? And a good measure of this, regardless of if somebody's polyamorous or monogamous, is are they growing as a person? Are they pursuing the things that they enjoy? Are they uh, perhaps growing in their job or going and taking more classes? Are, are they getting fulfillment in their life? And if they are, instead of saying, well, you can't be happy because of this, actually taking the approach of looking at them and seeing if they actually are. So let's talk about some of the science on this, right? There have been a reasonable number of studies, surprisingly, around this kind of thing. And multiple studies have shown similar levels of satisfaction, self-esteem, and happiness between open couples and sexually exclusive ones. And by the way, guys, the links to all of these, uh, I don't know, I don't know where you're, you're listening to this, how this was sent to you. If you want to see the links to some of these studies and things along those lines, our show notes for this episode are going to be at atouchofflavor.com, atouchofflavor.com forward slash zero five zero for episode 50. And we'll have links to these things in there. But as I said, similar levels of satisfaction, self-esteem, and happiness between open couples and sexually exclusive ones. And uh, there's specifically a quote here from one of these studies that nothing in this data argues for the view that sexual openness or exclusivity in and of themselves make a difference in the overall adjustment of a married couple. There was another study that was done, a follow-up study that followed couples who had been non-monogamous for several years and found that after several years, there was no significant difference in happiness or marital stability, so breaking up, staying together, between those couples who had been polyamorous versus those whose marriages had been exclusive. And they had similar proportions of happiness versus unhappiness as monogamous people. So what I'm, I'm hoping that you, you're, you're taking away from this is that um, really at the end of the day, whether or not your, your loved one is polyamorous or they're monogamous, it doesn't affect their ability to be happy or not happy, right? What matters is that they're in the right kind of relationship for them and they're pursuing partners who are, you know, good for them and healthy for them and bringing out the best in them. And, you know, one, one of the other things that I found really interesting about these studies is that they also examined why people who were in polyamorous relationships broke up. And this, the reason that, uh, the reasons that they found tends to be in very much in line with our own experience around these things and, and people that we know, which is 
But the reasons were almost never related to actually being polyamorous or non-monogamous. This is the quote. When polyamorous relationships ended, common reasons given included growing apart in general interests, feeling unequal levels of attraction to one another, dealing with the stresses of long distance, or essentially all the same reasons that people break up when they're monogamous. Which from our personal experience has been very much the same thing. We've had partners that we broke up with because of long distance, some due to like having to deal with family issues. We've had partners that we grew apart from who are still friends that we were like, you know, this isn't a relationship. So it's not about the relationship style. It's simply we're humans and we either have one or two ways to go with our relationships. And that is to continue a relationship or to end it and it to change into something else. That is the only two paths of a relationship. And the fact of the matter is the vast majority of relationships, regardless of whether they are monogamous or polyamorous, don't last a lifetime. Some do. Most don't. And so you may be sitting there going, well, I'm concerned about my my loved one's spouse, like them breaking up and it, it ending and it, it being this thing where they break up. And the thing is, is that as a non-monogamous person, they still value their relationship with their partner. Like this isn't, well, now I have more partners I don't love and care and I'm not going to put the work in. In a lot of ways, it means I'm going to put a lot more work in. I'm going to have to have a lot more conversations. And this doesn't mean that we are any more likely to break up than we were. Um, if we are a couple that has good communication, have been happy together and fulfilling each other and making sure that each other are being heard in our relationship, simply because we become polyamorous doesn't mean that that's going to change. So the next thing... Point five. <laughs> the fifth thing you should know. The fifth thing you should know is, guys... We have thought about the children, okay? I, I know you're probably one of the things that have come up is like, oh, think about the children. Um, we have. Uh, they're fine. Uh, and, you know, we'll get into a little bit of the science for a minute. But the the thing is, is that us as polyamorous folks, it's not that we have not considered our children. We love our kids. We want them to grow and expand and be awesome uh, members of society and Believe you me, uh, we have thought about them as individuals and what it is that we want as far as their well-being. So let me let me talk a little bit about the studies surrounding this. And I will be the first person to tell you. So we're, we're going to I want to take this two directions. I want to talk about the studies and I want to talk about our our personal experiences with this. Um, I will be the first person to say that there needs to be a lot more research on this. I would personally like to see a lot more research. There hasn't been a lot done. Um, there's there's some stuff from back from like the 70s, like involving like people growing up on islands and like in, in like uh, group cultures and things like that. And, and there's a few more recent ones. What is most interesting when you look at the studies isn't so much, to me anyways, what's there. It's what's not there. And what's not there is any correlation between polyamorous relationships and negativity, uh, like negative effects for the children. So 
Most of the research that has been done in recent years into this topic that's actually been done in depth has been by uh, Dr. Elizabeth Staff. And she conducted a 20-year study in which she interviewed 206 people in polyamorous families, including 37 children. And she found both some positives and some negatives that, you know, came up as themes. So we'll talk about the negatives first, right? The negatives that she found were the loss of treasured relationships. Although it was interesting because she she found this as a potential negative, like, you know, you break up with somebody and, and, uh, and you know, and your child wants a relationship with that person. You know, this is a partner. This is maybe somebody they've been around for years or, you know, maybe they're children, right? Like maybe they have like almost a, a sibling. So she found that this was a potential negative. But what, what she found that was interesting was that in most cases, the children actually maintain relationships with their parents' ex-partners, for lack of a better term. Um, so that was interesting. The second negative was social stigma, people being... Uh, Mean. I mean, mean, essentially, like them being discriminated against or people being mean to them. She found a lot less of that than she expected, but she did find that that is a potential issue. The other ones were kind of interesting to me, which was household crowding. So like when you get situations, you have too many people living in one house and it, it becomes, you know, an issue where the kids aren't happy with that. And and the fourth negative that she found was too much supervision, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. And she definitely got that negative from talking from the kids because I do not think that was a negative that came <laughs> from the parents. But what was interesting is, you know, the conclusion that she she drew from this was that none of these negatives were things that were unique to people in polyamorous relationships, right? They're things that, negatives that are potentially for kids uh, all the time. So that was that was an interesting one. And as far as positives, right, she discovered a, a number of positives. And these are quotes. Um, the children had more individualized times with adults. Uh, they could spend less time in daycare because of the flexibility of having multiple parental figures involved in their lives. They had a greater diversity of interests available from adult figures which helped the children foster a wider variety of hobbies and skills. So at the end of the day, guys, you know, as far as the studies, as I said, I, I personally would like to see a lot more. But the fact of the matter is the studies that have been done, they're, they're not gloom and doom. Um, if anything, they're, they're, they lean in the positive direction and, and they, they seem to indicate that the negatives aren't, aren't negatives that are unique to, to polyamory. Yeah, and in our experience, so we'll talk a little bit about our experience. You should tell what that is first. Yeah, I'm getting, I'm going there. That's where I'm going. Um, so we have a nesting triad. Rigel and I have been married for over 10 years. It's 12 now. Um, over 10. <laughs> and uh, we've, you know, been together longer than that. We have a son who is a teenager and... Uh, we also have a partner that we share who lives with us, who uh, we've been with for close to five years now. Yeah. So we are, our, our child has grown up essentially his whole life and we call him man cub on this podcast. So for, for, for you guys who are listening to this podcast for the first time, but our child has grown up in a polyamorous situation pretty much his entire life. And then we've had partners with children ranging anywhere from 18 months old to 16. 16. So we we actually have quite a bit of experience when it comes to uh, to kids in polyamorous relationships. Actually, one of the things that you know I mentioned earlier that we educate, one of the things that we are asked to teach on quite a bit is actually raising children in polyamorous households. So just a little bit of experience with the topic. Yeah. And 
one of the things while Rigel was going through the studies that I was doing was kind of sitting here going, that very much mimics a lot of what goes on in our day to day. And the thing is, is that although this is our, our, our nesting triad, we do have other partners and things like that. I think that's important to note. Essentially, our son has a lot of help. He is involved in all the things, uh, student government to lacrosse to what is trial team that he's now on. I couldn't think he of it. He has a lot of people to give him rides and help him with homework and to go to the, it's not, not parent teacher association anymore. It's the it's, PTO. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he's got a lot of support and he has benefited from that because he's had multiple people to be able to ask advice from, to help him with math. <laughs> yeah. Help him with math because I ain't doing it. I stink at math. So it's great that Amanda's around to be able to help him with that. To things like having a bigger cheering session uh, section when he's uh, playing lacrosse. And in a lot of ways, it's benefited him. And a lot of people ask, well, what does this look like? And a lot of times my answer is, it's not really all that different than having two parents just with an extra one. Um, it, it's, so take your day-to-day -day of having two parents. You may One of you might drive the kid to school. The other might help with homework. And add another one. It's just another extra set of hands is really all that you're getting out of this. And it's funny because his uh, his his biggest negative that he says is is actually that that too much supervision, supervision right? Yeah. He, says, he says he can't get away with anything. It, it's interesting, and you know, and yeah, it's true. You know, we we have had partners who he was close to. Um, we've had partners' children who he viewed as siblings who he was close to, and. You know, you know, and it's, you know, we've, we've got some people that we're no longer with as, as partners, right? But the thing is, we arrange visits. Most of them, he sees them. He sees the kids. He gets to hang out. I mean, overall, honestly, I think it's been a really positive thing in his life. Um, if you guys want to get more of like a, a from the perspective of the child view on that, we actually did uh, an episode with Man Cub that he had asked to do. We'll link to it in the show notes. It's episode 033. Um, I think it's called a Poly Teen Answers Your Questions, where we actually screened some questions, let him answer them on the podcast, edited his voice a little bit, made him sound different. He does not really sound like a chipmunk. He doesn't really sound like a chipmunk and put it on. So, you know, if you're really interested in, in how does this work out for kids who grow up in it, Listen to that episode. And, and you know, the thing that we've found, as I've said, with children of, of all ages is the children really deal with this fine. They deal with this fine until they have an adult telling them that it's wrong, that it's wrong and it's evil. All they know is that they have more people around to take them to do things and love them and, and help them out. It's something to think about. One last thing that I want to touch about in this the children are fine category there is this 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 weird perception that we run into a lot. Well, let me tell you the question, and that will tell you the perception. And the question is, you want to do it at the same time? Well, what, what are, are they, they seeing? seeing? <laughs> what are the kids seeing? And and the answer is they're seeing what they would see, and if if their parent was dating 
somebody. Like they see people holding hands, maybe kissing a little bit, maybe cuddling. It, it's I, I, there seems to be the only way I can I can relate it is there. I guess there seems to be this thought that like when you're you're non-monogamous, all of a sudden you lose all your common sense and just start like doing inappropriate shit in front of the kids, and that that's not happening, right? Or there wouldn't be polyamorous people. They wouldn't have kids the government would have all the kids like yeah it's this idea that somehow you lose your moral compass and sensibility i guess that's really what it is yeah and and no like as i said in the beginning of this point we love our kids we have their best intentions in mind we're not doing something stupid (laughs) all right so guys, I appreciate you sticking with us thus far, right? So we're gonna we're gonna talk about the sixth thing that you should know when someone you love is non-monogamous. And and to be honest with you guys, this this is really for a lot of you where the rubber is going to meet the road in in moving forward with your life, with your relationship, with with this person that you love and who loves you. And what it is is that our partners are our family. And For a lot of you, you might be sitting there going, well, this is just their partner, this person. But these people, uh, you know, and and we keep going back to this point, especially if someone's bringing this to you, there's probably a reason. They probably want this person more active in their life, or maybe this person already is active in their life, and they want to be able to share that with you. And for a lot of us, our partners are a huge part of our life. And maybe in some ways, these people might even in the day-to-day be more involved in our lives than you are. Um, Maybe this is someone I live with. Maybe this is somebody that I see every day. It's a person I I cry on their shoulder when things are going wrong and I I celebrate, you know, what's gone right at work that day and, and I raise kids with. So this dismissive attitude that these people who are your loved one's partners are somehow not family, are not important, really takes a lot of credit away from those relationships and can be very, very painful and cause a lot of harm in your relationship. Yeah, this this is somewhere that I think that it really behooves you to understand how how the person you love thinks about this, right? Because this, this affects how they're going to make decisions, and, and it's important for you to know when you're moving forward. And there's this, this initial tendency, if you've never encountered non-monogamy before, and your partner comes to you and say they're married and they have a wife, and and they bring, you know, they bring their, or even if they're not married, but whatever, they bring their other partner and introduce them and say, hey, this is, you know, this is my, this is my girlfriend. I'm just going to use this as an example. There's this this tendency, if you aren't familiar with polyamory, to be like, okay, yeah, but that's like a second-class relationship, right? It doesn't really matter. It's not on the same level as the wife. It's not really even on the same level as if they were just like dating one person, right? It's not real relationship. It's not a real relationship. And the the thing that you need to realize is that that isn't the case for for your loved one. To them, this is a very real relationship. This is just as real as if they were only dating one person. And... That's how they're going to think and that's how they're going to make decisions. And that plays into how they're going to think about this when you ask them to choose. And I guess we're going to talk about that in a minute. 
Yeah, it, it really does. Because what you're doing is, is you're seeing this person as less than, and you're asking your loved one to give up a relationship or an interaction with this person for you. And let me, let me tell you how this plays out. This plays out like this. Like you said, let's have straight talk. This is how this plays out. This plays out is in, in, in a situation like, well, you're welcome to come over for Christmas, even though you're a heathen and you, you do this polyamory thing, but your partner is not welcome. And as I said, you know, the reason, the problem is, is that this really only works when you're thinking about this person as a second-class citizen. But when you realize that this is essentially, you know, under, under certain circumstances, asking them to come to Christmas and leave their spouse at home, then you really realize how they're going to think about that when you force them to make that choice. And really, these actions of trying to act as though this person shouldn't be included, shouldn't be considered. To force somebody to choose. Yeah. Isn't fair or healthy, right? Basically, you're cutting off a source of someone's support, someone's love, someone's care, especially in hard times. You know, if, if this is a situation where your your loved one is going through something hard and you're asking them to push away support, like, it's, it's just not fair. It's not right. And we would think that that was unhealthy if it was anything else other than this situation, like choosing friends, choosing other family members, you know, to, to do that is, is just an unhealthy thing. And honestly, at the end of the day, most of the time you're the one who loses. Rigel talked a little bit about how this plays out. And a lot of times it comes down to, well, you're asking me to do this unhealthy thing for me. You're asking me to do this thing that's going to make me unhappy. That's quite frankly going to be hurtful to my partner. Yeah. And so although I may not like the outcome of not spending time with you, because most likely I do want to spend time with you and I do want to see you, I'm not going to punish this person who isn't asking me to choose. You may want to really give some consideration to that and how that is going to actually look in your relationship. And I know that our last point was think of the children, but I actually want to share a quote that my kids said at one point. Man Cub was talking about people and, and choosing, and, and the thing that he said was, you know, if you really are thinking about the children, and if you really are thinking about your child or your loved one, you shouldn't be asking them to choose. This is a time that you should be thinking about the children. Maybe, maybe this child spends a lot of time with this person. Maybe the child in that relationship spends a lot of time with this person or your loved one has this whole relationship with this person. Like this is the time to actually think about the children versus the other things you may have been worried about. And so the, the last thing with this idea of our partners being family and meaningful, what we need you to understand is that when these relationships don't work out, because as we talked about before, sometimes they don't work out for all the same reasons that monogamous relationships don't work out, is that it is a sense of loss. It does hurt. It's, it's sad. It's, a, it's, you know, something that didn't work out and, and stinks. And it's just like the breakups you've had. Yeah, it's, it's exactly like any kind of breakup you've ever had. So understanding that 
this is because it is meaningful. It's going to have just as meaningful of pain, right? It's it's going to be as, as at the same level. So do do us a favor. Don't celebrate our breakups. Um, don't we be don't rude. celebrate yours. Yeah, like that 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 that's rude. Don't be you know counting down the ticker, hoping that someone breaks up and that that's going to happen. And you know, and and thinking that well, if this doesn't work out, well, then they're not going to be polyamorous. No. Uh, most likely they're still going to be polyamorous. They're just going to be sad. So don't do that because these relationships are real. They are real family. They are people that we care and love very much for. And it is a loss. So guys, we want to thank you for sticking through this whole thing. It's funny. We, we started with the idea this was going to be like a 20 minute episode. And we're now, you know, by the time all is said and done over an hour. And, you know, I, I appreciate it because it takes a lot to really sit and be willing to Listen to people challenge kind of your way of thinking and and how you think things should be for so long and really try and listen with an open mind. So, Yeah. So if there is one thing that you take away from all this, it is that our polyamorous relationships are a huge support and positive thing in our lives. They're important to us. This They're a source is- of happiness and fulfillment. Yeah, it's a part of who we are. And we don't need you to change what you do or who you are. We just want you to accept us for who we are and allow us to be able to have the love and fulfillment in our lives that we're pursuing. Thanks for listening to the Touch of Flavor podcast, where we're building relationships outside of the box. Got a question? This is the place to ask it. Submit your question at atouchofflavor.com slash ask or leave us a voicemail at 833-ASK-TOF1.